Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, my name is Jason, one of the pastors here. It's my privilege and joy uh, to speak to you this morning. And I will be preaching from Psalm 86 for today's sermon. And I will also be sharing about the Lord's grace and compassion upon my family. So let's look to the Lord, in, uh, the, the Lord for help. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, I just want to commit myself unto your loving hands. May you help my feeble lips to proclaim your words with faithfulness and clarity. I also pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here, that may your words convict their hearts, and may your spirit transform their lives to be more and more like Christ. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you felt needy and helpless? Well, on 10th of September this year, my son Jacob, uh, he woke up with a headache. And also, we did the usual things as parents, right? It's headache. So what, what, what do you do as parents? Uh, give him Panadol, ask him to uh, be properly hydrated, sleep early, cut down on screen time. Uh, we even brought him to check uh, for an eye checkup for his myopia in case the headache is caused by uh, the worsening of his myopia. And, uh, and then we also, uh, you know, we, we did all sorts of things, you know, cook herbal tea and all stuff for him. Um, but then his headache didn't seem to disappear. And so uh, one day at school, he, he called me and said, Daddy, I'm having this terrible headache. Can you come and pick me up from school to see a doctor? So, we, so I brought him uh, to see a doctor. And, uh, you know, my son hates to take afternoon nap. You know, I must threaten him and, you know, coax him to sleep, take afternoon nap. But that day... He took an afternoon nap, so I knew something wasn't right with him. And uh, nine days later, his headache intensifies, and he started having stuttering of speech on two occasions. So we brought him to see a doctor again, and the doctor uh, advised us to bring him immediately to A&E, because uh, the GP suspected maybe it's a mouse stroke. And so he got warded in uh, KKH, and the MRI uh, scan revealed that he had uh, a, a brain inflammation. And that, that week, when he was warded for about nine days, that week, his condition worsened every single day. The headache not just intensifies, but he started having other neurological deficits. You know, besides the stuttering of speech, he had occasion where he had problems swallowing, he had blood vision, and then things got worse almost every other day, you know. Uh, he had, uh, his hand starts to tremble. Uh, he can't even button his shirt. And then his mouth also starts to quiver. And as a father, I was, uh, I was very worried and concerned, of course, seeing my own sons uh, going through suffering. And, you know, <clears throat> he can't even button his own shirt. And uh, he's learning piano. And uh, he wanted to learn piano so that he can serve the Lord. And so all these things come to my mind and say, oh dear, my, my son might not be able to serve the Lord after that because I'm really not sure whether the brain inflammation, whether his condition, was it a transient thing or will it be permanent? And so later on when um, the doctor, after the MRI uh, test, the doctor did uh, a lumbar puncture to draw his uh, cerebral spinal fluid or CSF. And uh, they suspected that he had uh, autoimmune brain disease because he didn't have a fever. There, was, there wasn't any fever at all, but there was a high count of white blood cell in his brain, which means that uh, they suspected that his autoimmune system is defective 
and so it, it attacks his own brain, and which means he might uh, degenerate rapidly, uh, both cognitively as well as physically. So it pains my heart that this could even be a possibility that they are suspecting, that I might see my son degenerate before my very own eyes. And uh, the CSF uh, was sent to the National Neuroscience Institution for further testing. Uh, but the results will, will only be out in two weeks' time. And that two weeks felt like two years. And so it was a time of crisis and uncertainty for me and my family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we all face crisis in our lives. And if you live long enough, you will face a crisis of suffering and uncertainty in life as well. Perhaps you may be struggling with a chronic illness that has plagued you your whole life. Or maybe your family member suffers a terminal illness, heart-wrenching to watch the illness reduce them to skin and bones before your very eyes. Some of us may be going through a broken relationship where we felt betrayed and forsaken. The hurt is deep and you feel all so lonely. Or maybe you just lost a job or you did badly in your studies and feel that your future is in jeopardy. Even as your peers progress in their career and their studies, you feel like a total failure in life. Oftentimes, we feel helpless and don't know where to turn to. For the Israelites, they too were facing a crisis. And Psalm 86 is located in Book 3 of the Sorter. And the backdrop of Book 3 is the all-familiar exile, where Israel was in national crisis, in dire distress, and facing an uncertain future. The walls of Jerusalem have been broken and breached by the enemies. Their loved ones slaughtered before their very eyes. The temple defiled and the city lies in ruin. Many were taken away as exiles into a foreign land, far away from home. And those who remain in the land, they were mocked and often threatened by their hostile neighbours. Hence, the majority of the Psalms in Book 3 are national lament, written by Asaph. And last week, Psalm 84, the sons of Korah. Psalm 86, to this sermon, is based on, is the only Psalm of David in Book 3. It is an individual prayer of David, not a national lament. And some commentators note that this Psalm contains verses taken from other psalms written by David. So it is like a remix of David's greatest hits, you know, in Psalm 86. But why this lonely psalm of David in Book 3? Well, perhaps the psalmist seeks to draw Israel's attention back to David of how he sought the Lord in times of his crisis. And that is what Psalm 86 is all about. To learn from David how he responded when he was in distress. After all, David was a man after God's own heart. He has placed his faith in the Lord. And as king, 
He has led the nation of Israel to do likewise. He loves the Lord. He wrote many memorable psalms that we now read about. And though David failed when he was tested, he failed by committing murder and adultery. Yet he sought the Lord's forgiveness and repented. He's a great example for Israel to follow. First slide, please. So the question we want to ask ourselves is how do we respond in times of crisis? How do you respond when you are in trouble? Well, for some 86, you'll notice that it's a chiastic structure uh, where it's, uh, you know, it's bookend by prayer. Okay, so it begins verses 1 to 7 with a prayer of David and it ends 14 to 16 with another prayer. So it's a good way to know how to respond to the Lord, right? By praying. And right there in the middle section, verses 8 to 10, you see how David prays, prays the Lord. He worships the Lord even in the midst of his suffering and crisis. And right there in verse 11 is where he asks the Lord to teach him to walk in the Lord's truth. That is the main trust of where we are headed today. So how do we respond when we face crisis? We pray and praise in times of crisis. So we see David's predicament. From the passage, we know that David was desperate. In verse 1, he tells us that he felt poor and needy. In verse 4, he tells us that he's joyless. Verse 7, he's in distress. And the source of his distress is found in verse 14. Arrogant, arrogant foes are attacking me, O God. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. They have no regard for me for you. So here we see David face godless people who are after his life. And so what did he do? He turns to God in prayer as he cries out to the Lord. You can see David's plea throughout Psalm 86. Hear me, Lord, and answer me. Guard my life. Save your servant. Have mercy on me, Lord. Bring joy to your servant. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. In verse 16, he pleads for God to turn to him. It's another way of saying, show me your favor, Lord. Be gracious to me and have mercy on me. Show your strength and save me. In verse 17, in his desperation, in his darkest moment, David even asked God for a sign of God's goodness, or according to ESV, a sign of your favour. So judging by the persistence and fervency of his prayers, you can sense his desperation. David is in great distress, but he did not despair, as he hopes in the Lord, and he turns his anxieties into prayers. Crying out to God for help is a good start. Brothers and sisters in Christ, most rescues begin with a cry for help. Prayer expresses our dependency on God 
And David's confidence in his prayers is based not on his merit or on his strength. His confidence is based on two things. The first we see, his confidence lies in his relationship with the Lord. You see, the word Lord and servant appears numerous times in this psalm. In verse 2, it's there, it's, David tells the Lord, For I am faithful to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. He tells God, Bring joy to your servant, Lord, for I put my trust in you. And in verse 16, he goes even further back. He tells the Lord, to show your strength in behalf of your servant. Save me. Why? Because I serve you just as my mother did. So David's relationship with God is a premise of his confidence of calling out to the Lord. His relationship with God goes back a long way, even back to his mother. And his second confidence, his second confidence is God's character. We see in verse 5, he declares, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. In verse 15, he declares that, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Hence, David is totally confident that the Lord will answer him because he knows God's character. And the significance of verse 15 lies in the fact that this is the Lord's revelation in Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7 to Moses. God revealed himself to Moses and declared this is him when right after Israel rebelled and rejected God by building a golden calf. God had instructed Moses then to recommission him to uh, you know, build two more tablets of the Ten Commandments. As he renewed his covenant with Israel, this is what the Lord declares of himself. He says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and Sorry, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the, for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. You see, this is an important lesson for Israel, who had sinned against the Lord and now facing his judgment in exile that in the midst of their national crisis, they can cry out to the Lord for help because the Lord declares that he maintains love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That God is a forgiving God. And so he would even listen to the cries of unworthy sinners. And this would give Israel the assurance like David that they can turn to God and cry for mercy. So what lessons can we draw from this passage? Well, the first two lessons, the first lesson we see is that crisis and suffering are common to all humanity. Just because you are a child of God, just because you are a Christian, you are a deacon, an elder, a pastor, doesn't mean that you can evade 
facing a crisis. So the myth is that God will not allow any crisis to happen to his people. But the truth is that God allows crisis to happen to his people for their spiritual growth. And those of us who, often, who are often most disappointed with God in a crisis are those who expect themselves to be excused from suffering and pain. So we are not excused from facing crisis and suffering. The second lesson we, we can learn from this passage is that crisis is a reminder for us to cry out to God. No, the myth is that you are strong. The world tells you you are strong and you can handle this on your own. But the truth, the biblical truth is that, is that it's okay to be weak because our Lord is strong. Cry out to Him for He is your God. See, God is not our last option. He is our best option. But knowing about prayer and actually praying are two different matters. So brothers and sisters in Christ, you do not have to put up a brave front in front of God. You just need to be upfront with God. You can put aside your ego. You don't have to fake it. You can come as you are broken and needy, that's a great place to start. Because if you ain't broken, you will never come to God. And you are not strong. You are not in charge. You are not in control. God is. So cry out to Him, for He will answer you. He will answer you by giving you His grace, His comfort, His peace, His hope, His joy, his strength and his presence. Even if your crisis is a result of your own doing, even if the mess you are in right now is because of your sinfulness, like the Israelites who sin against the Lord, we are his children. He's good and forgiving. He will be gracious to you and listen to your plea for grace. You can come to him. So coming back to my son's condition, when his condition was worsening by the day, I struggled. I struggled between putting up a brave front and being upfront with the Lord. I felt the need to be strong as a father in front of my own kids. How can I crumble in my faith, right? How can I break down and cry in front of my own family? I'm supposed to be a pillar of strength in front of them. I felt the need to be strong as a pastor. You know, how I, I swing wildly between fear and faith. But as a pastor, how can I display that, you know, in front of all of you? I was afraid to cry. I was afraid to be seen to be weak. But then I figured out that since my Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, wept when his friend Lazarus died. So I guess he gave me permission to cry too. And so I wept and wept and pleaded with the Lord. I would wake up throughout the night weighed down by anxieties about my son's condition and future. I would cry out to the Lord and surrender all my worries to him and his abounding in love to all who call to him. And other times when I was in deep turmoil, 
where I wrestle with my faith, and I can't even find the words to pray. I know that the Spirit intercedes for me with wordless groans. I, uh, I unashamedly ask my DG and fellow pastors to pray for me. And all I know that in times of crisis, I am very, very, very weak and helpless. But my Lord is strong and he sustains me and carries me through. For that nine days when my son was warded in hospital, I heard and attended to his every request, even in the middle of the night. Daddy, I need to go to the toilet. I need help. Daddy, the, the aircon is too cold. Daddy, the aircon is too warm. Daddy, I need water. Then it dawns on me that if a sinful, imperfect father like me would love and care for my son when he is in crisis and respond to his every cry, even in the middle of the night, then how much more would our perfect Heavenly Father love and care for us when we are in crisis? How will God not hear our cries, see our tears, and comfort us even in the darkest of night? Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 assures us, Jesus said, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Sons and daughters of the Most High, if you are in crisis, cry out to your heavenly Father, for He loves and cares for you. How else are we to respond in times of crisis? Besides praying, we praise the Lord. See, it is easy to be overwhelmed by the crisis and problems of your life. And the problem at hand would become so big, it becomes bigger than God. And the anxiety and fear of uncertainty might paralyze you from living for the Lord. So for David, David turns his attention to God. He keeps God at the center of his life. As we see in the following verses, Verse 8, Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. David acknowledges that God is sovereign. He's a creator. There is none like him in heaven above. And no deeds, no works can compare with him. Most likely referring to God as a creator, as seen in verse 9. For you made all the nations. And all the nations will praise you. And in verses 10 and following, David declares that you alone are God. He, he recalls that, that the Lord is great and has performed marvelous deeds of miracles to save Israel time and time again in the past. That you alone are God and I will praise you. So David worships the Lord even in the midst of his crisis. In verses 11 to 13, he declares, or rather he asks the Lord, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Verse 13, For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. David worships God in the midst of his crisis. And guess what? This is not the only instance in the Old Testament 
where someone worships God in the midst of their crisis. Once again, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David fell down and worshipped God after his son with Bathsheba died. And Job, Job, after he was told that his children had died, he arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. With these famous words in Job 1, 21, Job declares, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amazing, isn't it? How Job worships the Lord, even in the midst of such a great tragedy. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is very difficult to praise and worship God when you're undergoing a crisis. I know it firsthand. I swing on the pendulum between fear and faith. In verses 11 and 13, we see David, he asked God to help him. Help him to do what? Help him to offer worship of inward obedience and upward praise. In verse 11, inward obedience. David wants God to teach him his ways, to align David's will with, with God's will. Why? So that he may rely on God's faithfulness or ESV, he, may, he can walk in God's truth so that he can be aligned with God's will so that he can continue to live for God even in the midst of a crisis. And 11b, David asked God to give him an undivided heart. You know, when crisis strikes, we cower in fear and fear causes our hearts to be all over the place. And we fall apart in our devotion to the Lord. We become overwhelmed by our current predicament, fixate, so fixated on our problems that we no longer see God for who He is. So I think David understood this. So he asked God for help to give him an undivided heart, a united heart, one heart that he may continue to fear and revere the Lord. And David also offers upward praise to the Lord. Or in ESV, I will give thanks to you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, praise and thanksgiving to God help us to overcome despair. How? By seeing God's hand of faithfulness even in the midst of our crisis. And oftentimes, His blessings shine through the brightest in the darkest of nights. Verse 12b, David reminds us that we exist to glorify God's name forever. See, we do not merely live to overcome one crisis after another. We exist for something or someone greater and bigger than ourselves. That is God Himself. So, I have a quiz for you in the middle of this sermon. Now, what do these people have in common? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Queen Esther, Mordecai, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah. What do they have in common? Well, if you know your Old Testament well enough, they all live during the time of the exile. Yet each and every one of them live to glorify God, even in the midst of their national crisis. 
And this is perhaps why the editor of the Psalms placed David's Psalm here to teach Israel that they, that they exist to worship and glorify God both in the good times and the bad times, in Jerusalem and in exile. And David ends in verse 13 by, by displaying his confidence in God, by speaking of the future as if it has already happened. And this is what he said. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. He's talking about the future as if it has already happened. That he's confident, he's so confident that God has already delivered him. And so when Jacob's condition looks the bleakest and our family's future was uncertain, when all I see in hospital was a sick child, by the way, he's my favorite son. You know that, right? He's my only son. <laughs> yeah. So when my favorite son was so sick, um, I was really depressed. And so my daughter and I felt the need to step out of the hospital room to come to church to worship the Lord, to acknowledge that God is sovereign over our lives, to see that He's bigger than our problems, to look upward rather than to look inward, to see the big picture. And so that Sunday, we came here. We were seated there. And we were ministered to by the songs. And guess who was the uh, song leader that day? Mona. Yeah, you know, Mona's song is a bit like, you know, uh, if you like, go 90.5. She's the kind of song, yeah, yeah. But I have to say, yeah, the song she led is my same era, la. Yeah, almost the same era. So it means I was ministered to by the songs led by Mona, and the prayers by Deacon Errol, who specifically prayed for my family. I truly appreciate that, and the message on Ephesians six by Pastor Daniel. You see, sometimes you think pastors just standing behind there, not listening to fellow pastors preaching. I was listening. Okay, it was very timely as I was facing a fierce spiritual battle. No, the devil was, I was, devil was selling me lies to doubt God's goodness. And I was reminded by Pastor Daniel to put on the full armor of God to withstand the devil's lies to doubt God's goodness. And God's words encouraged me and gave me hope to align my will with his, to fear him alone. And we also worship the Lord in hospital, you know. Um, so Jacob and I, while I was uh, taking care of him, we would start our day each morning. We would start our day by praying. Not by praying, praying first. We would start our day with thanksgiving first. So we will sit down and come up with a list of thanksgiving to the Lord. No, that, no even in the midst of all this uh, uncertainty, I can testify that there's so much to give thanks to the Lord for. You know, for His mercies are new every morning. So our Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving list is pretty long, you know. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's easy to miss God's blessings while your head is in the clouds, in the storm clouds. And even as we go through this uh, worshipping Lord and you know, giving thanks to the Lord each morning, my son's prayer soon changed from uh, praying for my school and my exams to thanking God that he's alive, that I'm alive today. Thank God for giving me life. He started to thank God for both his biological and spiritual family in Christ. It deepens our family's trust in him. And each day as we worship God in hospital, God never fails to encourage us with his words 
his songs and his people. And I have to say, we were overwhelmed by the love and concern of many of you during my son's illness. And I rejoice and thank God for his work in your lives as the fruit of the Spirit is evident as you show love to one another. And we were strengthened by your prayers. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you very much. And so the lesson for us in this passage is that we ought to worship God even in the midst of our crisis. For some of us, God's way may be through the valley of Baca, may be through the valley of tears and weeping. And this is where the rubber hits the road. Is he still God in your suffering? Is he the Lord of the good times and the bad times? If he is, then we should live for him even in the midst of our suffering. We should still bring him glory and honour even in our troubles. Not because you are great, but because he is. Not because you are strong, but because he is and he will strengthen you. And if you feel that you are weak, you can be like David, cry out like David to the Lord, teach me your way, O Lord. And he will deliver you from the depths, from the realm of the dead. And so how are we to respond in times of crisis? We are to pray and praise God in times of our crisis. And for Psalm 86, although Israel has much to learn from David in this wonderful psalm, David can only show us how to respond in times of crisis. David has no power to deliver them and us out of our crisis. So for Israel, they must wait for a later time where one greater than David will come. And that brings us to the final point that our Lord Jesus Christ, he's the obedient son of David. If anyone should understand the suffering that you are going through, it is our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here today and you still do not know him and you're going through a crisis in your life, I would like to invite you to call out to him for his good and faithful. He has went through suffering too and he knows what you are going through. And not just that, our Lord Jesus has modeled for us what it means to trust in the Lord, what it means to obey even in the midst of suffering, even as he poured his life on the cross in obedience to the Father. He displays faithfulness, undivided heart, to bring glory and praise to the Lord. Second, we see that our Lord Jesus has delivered us from our ultimate crisis. Your ultimate crisis is not the one you are currently facing. Your ultimate crisis is facing the wrath of God for your sins. And our Lord Jesus has came to deliver us from the realm of the dead. He has brought the nations to come to worship the Lord. He's God's mercy and strength in behalf of us, his servants. And our Lord Jesus, he's the sign of God's goodness. He's the sign that God has favoured us. He has come to help and comfort us. So in closing, I'd just like to go back to the testimony about my son. So, The first night when the doctor came to tell me that uh, they have ruled out an infection, 
and they, that they suspected that my son has autoimmune brain disease. I really didn't know how rapidly he would degenerate, but the signs were all looking pretty bad. And when my son was two years old, he, he, uh, he had uh, Kawasaki disease, an autoimmune uh, disease as well. So, you know, all signs were pointing towards the autoimmune brain disease. I, would, I woke up at 3 a.m. That, that morning, and I have trouble going back to sleep. As I drenched my pillow with tears, I lamented to the Lord. So um, this is what I lamented to, to the Lord. I, I told the Lord, I told him that, I told him, I, I told the Lord that, Lord, I can't see the light at the end of this tunnel. This tunnel is really, really very dark. And I also asked God, God, can you please heal my son? Can you please heal him? And then his reply to me was, he did. Now, I, I didn't hear an audible voice. I am not crazy, okay? But in my heart, he answered me that Jesus is a light at the end of the tunnel. I was just looking at my son right, and his condition and my problem and the crisis, and it was so dark. But he was like telling me that Jesus is a light. He's not just a light at the end of my tunnel, my problem, but he's the light of the whole world. He's a light for all crises. And not just that, he assures me that he didn't just heal my son, you know. I mean, he could have healed my son. God could have healed my son, right? But then my son could have died of another disease the next, next time around, isn't it? But he has healed my son because my son has placed his trust in the Lord. Because Jesus, through his stripes, he has healed us. And so even as, as I lamented to the Lord and I said, I told him, God, in Philippians chapter 4, you told us that if I were to, you know, call unto you, you know, you, you, would, you would give me your peace. If you are really God, please grant me your peace right now. And almost immediately, he answered me. And I, one more lament, a lament to the Lord is this. I told him, I told him, God, look, look at my son. Look at my son's condition. But in return, God tells me, look at his son instead. Because when I look at my son, I see nothing but problem. I see nothing but a sick child. But when I look at his son instead, I see hope. I see the light of the world. I see a future for my son. That the Lord didn't just you know, heal my son once and for all. He has healed my son eternally through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I have also concluded in my heart that even if God didn't heal my son that day, even if he were to degenerate, I know that he's still good and faithful, for he has already saved my son for eternity through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, God knows that I'm poor and needy, and he answered my prayer. God was, was merciful to my family, and so he healed my son the autoimmune brain disease result came back negative. And clinically, he has improved tremendously. Although it still remains a mystery to what causes the brain inflammation, that's okay. Because, as the psalmist declare in verse 13, for great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths, from the realm of the dead. So our circumstances in life may change. We may experience highs and lows in life. But it doesn't change the fact that he's a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Let's look to him in prayer.
Father, we come before you. I just want to specially pray for those who are in crisis, those who are suffering right now. Father, I pray that your presence will be close to them. I pray that you will help them to learn how to cry out to you for help, for you will answer them. I pray that you will help them to continue to worship you even in the midst of their crisis, for you have created them for something bigger than their crisis. You have created them to worship and to glorify you. So Father, I pray for all of us this morning that you will teach us your way, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Give us an undivided heart that we may fear your name, that we will praise you, Lord, our God, with all our hearts. We will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards us. You have delivered us from the depths, from the realm of the dead, through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.